0: three points and city is still alive here Caratelli Aguero oh! I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again see, Walk away your life if that turns you out It's only the moment Look away in the sky It's about time that your minds are gone
1: Okay, everybody welcome to episode 54 of the bolt from the blue podcast and as usual i have my two friends with me here to discuss uh, some of this stuff and uh, let's uh, introduce them we'll start off this time with the uh, man city fan tv ray ray
2: how are you doing mate i'm very well um mike very well indeed i'm just Spending a few days in London between the games, uh, like uh, the squad is, apparently. And so, yeah, just waiting for the game against Spurs now.
1: Is that some um, hotel room I see you in with the ironing board and stuff set up
2: in the background there? (laughs) That's me doing some ironing earlier before I went to see some friends. No, it's uh, an apartment we have in London for the year. Okay, okay. Very convenient. Okay,
1: and uh, our other guest, of course... (laughs) is none other than Press which Blue Colin Savage again. How how are you, Colin? I'm very good, thank you, Mike. Okay. Well, guys, we have got a few items on the agenda. And, of course, logically, the first one is City 1, Brighton 0. Now, um, not a lot to talk about in this game. There's a few things to talk about, but it wasn't a classic. City were well, well below power. And, in fact... If I were a Brighton fan, that's exactly what I would be hoping for, you know, a city to be off colour and we might get our chance to uh, to nick a goal. Anyway, let's start off with Colin and ask you, were you at the game first of all? I wasn't, unfortunately. I had to, um, uh, my brother was
3: due home from South America and Uh I had his keys. So I had to pick him up at the airport, or him and his wife at the airport, and um, let them in the house. So by the time I did that, it was too late to go, so All I had right. to watch on the TV. But I've also got to go, my son is coming over from the States for the final, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, uh, qu- quite by chance. Um, we-, we didn't even realise till recently uh, it was the final when he was over. So that's going to cost me three tickets. So if it hadn't been for that,
1: I'd have probably found a way to go to the semi-final. And Ray, you were there with Man City Fan TV, I guess?
2: Yes, I was, uh, Andy, um, with uh, about 26 City fans, I think. That's all we took, isn't it?
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, well, guys, we are in another cup final, and uh, we learned our opponents for that uh, final. We'll talk about that. Um, a little bit later but uh, let's talk about the game it started off in a very predictable way but um, anyway uh, just to get into it uh, give us your impression uh, Ray about this
2: particular game you were the one of us that was there so <laughs> well I'll tell you it's a, it a funny thing this evening I, I thought I'll sit down and watch the extended highlights on um, on, on City TV on the official uh, um, website I know what you're gonna say go on, go on. and normally the highlight, the extended highlights are about 10, 11, 12 minutes long. And this time, they, they actually struggled to even get to seven minutes. Um, so it
3: wasn't, to, to I noticed honest, that as well, yeah.
2: There wasn't much football involved at all. When you take away the you know, half minute, 40 seconds of introduction, there wasn't much football to talk about. And I've got to be honest, it was probably one of the dullest games of football I've seen this season. A uh, very turgid affair. Um It seemed like once city had got that early breakthrough after three or four minutes, we'd gone into sleep mode, you know, and we were just cruising and conserving energy. Not really, in my opinion, Really busting a go to, to get the second. The second would have really just killed the game off. Uh, um, but Brighton, they didn't have any, in my opinion, any ambition. They weren't really trying to get into the game. They were one nil down. They didn't really throw much at us. They had a slight change in strategy to put some pressing on. Um, but even that was half-hearted, which we beat quite, usually quite comfortably. But it was only in the second half when we carried on in this sleepy mode that Brighton Got a little bit of confidence and did try to to attack us, but let, let's be honest, they were they were really poor. And it, I think Ed, Edison uh, he had maybe one or two shots to save, and they were easy saves as well. So it was a pretty humdrum game, and uh, you no. Know, we scarpered as soon as the final whistle went you know i think if it would have been a good game we would have stayed around a little bit longer but it was as i said it's one one of the dullest games i've seen all season
1: uh, colin savage one thing that did tickle me about it when i saw the lineups is that brighton had a guy with a, a name straight out of Game of Thrones which is coming uh, back to us again Jahan Bachish. and uh, <laughs> as soon as I saw him I, I just I, I don't know something within me wanted to say Valor Morgulis but uh, <laughs> but uh, he, 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 he actually played all right. What did you think of um, of uh, the performance that uh, Brighton put up first of all? Well, it's fairly typical
3: of the performance we've seen from a lot of opposition teams um, this season, isn't it? I mean, Cardiff followed a bit of a similar pattern um, on the Wednesday. Uh, we see teams sit back, and even when we get an early goal, as we did in both Brighton and Cardiff games, teams still sit back and hope to contain us, because uh, there's always a hope that at 1-0 down, you, you can get a breakaway. At 2-0 down, perhaps there's a little bit of a, you know, you get one, you might be back in the game. Uh, once we get to 3-0, it's game over. But we've seen this pattern so many times that, that we, you know, we'll go on up early, that the opposition team will not seek to get back in the game straight away. And they'll just hang on and hang on and hang on. And it was basically a, you know, a game of attack versus defence. And they obviously hope to hang on. I, I don't know why teams do this, because we're strong in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, so um I don't know why teams do seem to wait till the, you know the last 20 minutes to attack us because um that, that's when we were at our strongest physically you know I think we're much fitter than most other teams but you know what they should do is get get into the game quickly while we perhaps while we're still switched up a little bit switched off. i don't know as, as i said that is that pattern is typical of so many games we've seen where even when we go one up the other team will not come out they're more worried about giving a second goal away than scoring themselves mm-hmm. and i think that's that is a, a almost like a backhanded compliment
1: to our potency and power isn't it it is and uh ray as usual We didn't have to wait too long before we got our first goal. It was the only goal, so um, I'll ask you to talk us through that because it was a very nice one, wasn't it?
2: Yes. I mean, we're actually doing that. Quite regularly this season, I heard some stuff on the radio today. I can't remember the stats, but we scored a lot of goals in the first five or ten minutes of games, and um, I think in the first twenty minutes we scored was like twenty goals or twenty odd goals. In I
3: think. Um, t- sorry, just jumped to. I did see that stat. I think Arsenal have the record with eighteen, and we're on seventeen so far this season. So the, chan- the, the chances are we could well beat that record.
2: Is that in the first 20 minutes or the first 10 minutes?
3: First 15, I
2: think. OK, OK. But we, we're scoring so many goals early. You know, like Colin said, if we go two up, that's pretty much game over. It's happening at Fulham, happening against Cardiff. We get the two goals, game's over. It felt very similar uh, against Brighton. Three or four minutes gone. Nice cross from uh, Crossfield uh, pass from Laporte out to the um, from the left side to the right wing. A little touchback to KDB and KDB, he hardly looked up. It was just a quick glance. When I saw it uh, um, on on TV later, it, it, it felt like he didn't even look up. But it, on the, on the replays, it, it, a very quick glance, and he put what was I can only describe as an undefendable crossing. It was undefendable. The the defender. Couldn't get there. It curled around him and uh, Gabby Jesus uh, came in at the far post, stooped down and headed it into the goal. Goalie had no chance. Defender had no chance. There was only one person who could get that ball and it was Gabby Jesus. And I'm mystified as to how KDB, how Kevin De Bruyne could have uh, put that cross in just for Gabby Jesus with just the merest of glances. And it's like, he's he. we said it about David Silva having a magic uh, wand or, of a foot or whatever, but KDB, he's got the same. It was magical, that cross. Uh, no one stood a chance. It was just the simplest of goals. It felt very much like that against Cardiff as well and this um, semi-final, that KDB is back. I think uh, when he came back from injury the first time this season, there was something missing. You know, he, he's, he, he's probably we we rushed him back a little bit and uh, he just didn't have uh, the right radar. But since he's come back the second time, it's brilliant. It's the KDB that we had last season and fingers crossed, you know, we can keep him fit and at this level for the rest of the season because I think he could make the difference.
1: Colin, is a, a very, very uh, interesting uh, selection. And on our bench, we had Leroy, Fernandinho, Mares. Uh, And Foden, I I just thought that that was um, going to definitely lead to a second goal at some stage, but it just didn't come. What do you think was the main reason for that? Was it really um, a team wide lack of urgency, or do you put that down to Brighton and and their effects to to counter us and close us out? I did notice that they had a. A pretty effective press, uh, both a high press and a, and a, and a, and a, a good uh, defensive performance. Well, Chris Houghton had said before the game that he wasn't going to go toe-to-toe with us
3: because he would lose. So, so I think we knew what to expect. I think you have to say Brighton. Uh, and they did that thing which, which kind of probably causes us the most problem. They stay very narrow, very compact, don't move far from their own penalty area. And we find that difficult <laughs> to break down. It, well, any team would find it difficult to break down. But yeah, there was a bit of a, a lack of energy... A lack of composure. I mean, I was looking at my notes and, you know, Gundogan, who is his delivery is normally exceptional. Uh, I don't think he got a, a corner or a free kick anywhere near the target um, yesterday. You know, KDB had that wonderful start, then he disappeared from the game, largely. David Silver, sadly, these, you know, the last few weeks, has been, uh, by certainly by his standards, a complete passenger in these games. Bernardo wasn't bad, he worked hard, as he always does, but relatively little impact. Raheem Sterling had one of those games, he had a couple of great shots towards the end, but very ineffective. So I think it was a bit of both, I mean, I think Brighton showed defensively great organisation, great discipline, but I think we were just, and once we went that one goal up, and funnily enough, when I um, watched the Southampton-Liverpool game on uh, Friday night, and Southampton went up, uh, went ahead early on, and I just put on Twitter, no, too early. And I think we possibly scored too
1: early, because I think the players then were thinking about Tuesday night. Ray, we got to see 79
2: minutes of a certain player called
1: Benjamin Mendy. What did you make of that?
2: Well, it's it's good to see him uh, gracing the pitch rather than the dance floor. It's, it's about time he, he he had a game for us again this season. Um I thought, personally, I thought he was so-so. I think he's always got issues with his defensive performance, um, but obviously we mainly have him for going forwards. And I think at the start he's his crossing, I don't think he was hitting anybody. You know, he looked rusty. I think that's the politest way to put it, and most diplomatic. He needs more time, obviously. But it's good to, to have him back, because obviously with the Zinchenko out, we need a proper left-back. I, I think the earliest we'd probably see Zinchenko back is maybe the Spurs' league game in a couple of weeks. So, We need Mendy back, and it's good for him to get 79 minutes under his belt, and uh, fingers crossed he he comes through unscathed, and he's ready for Tuesday.
1: Colin, generally speaking, I agree with uh, Ray, but I did think um, at certain uh, points during the game, you saw flashes of his uh, crossing ability. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with what Ray said. He looked
3: rusty, uh, certainly in the early stage of the game. He gave possession away a lot. Uh, again, as Ray said, uh, in the, again in the early stages, his crossing radar was well off. But yeah, there were a couple of crosses that I remember that were you know, what we expect from from Mendy, and, and and we can only hope that he does he does knuckle down and um, because you know there is a player in there. I hope that his little indiscretion in staying in the club till half past three doesn't have an impact on his career because I, I was actually listening to um, uh, Sam Lee on another well-known podcast and, and he was saying and obviously he's a bit closer to the City than most of us are from the media point of view that there was a certain annoyance with Mendy's attitude already and, and being caught in a club at 3.30am even though he wasn't playing obviously he wasn't drinking because he doesn't drink anyway can't have helped so you know I, if it had been an isolated incident, you might have said, "Well, yeah, it'd been a bit silly. Give him a slap on the wrist and tell him to knuckle down." And I think part of the frustration is we've not had a season out of him yet. If we'd been, if we was playing regularly, if he'd had a bit of a minor injury, you know, there was this thing about he didn't turn up to a recovery session. It was three hours, or oh, was three hours late. Yeah. And, you know, if you could get his attitude right, and, and you, your attitude's got to be right in a... Well, in any should be right in any team. In a Pep Guardiola team, it's got to be absolutely spot on. I, I hope it's not killed any chance of him staying with us next season. I think we'd struggle to get rid of him anyway, because of his injury record. So I think we're, we're stuck with him, to be honest. But there is a player in there, and if he gets his head straight and thinks about football, then, you know, uh, we've got a great player for next season if he stays fit. I can't
2: uh, see us selling him. I can't see us No,
3: him. I, I can't see that.
2: I think he'll he'll be here next season. That's his last chance. Um, yeah. But we've definitely, from what Pep is saying, we're going to get another left-back anyway. Uh, and then, you know, rather than uh, Mendy having this position cemented down, he could end up fighting for the position, which is no bad thing.
1: At the uh, moment, it's Shudchenko's fate. He's got to find his hands anyway, is not they? Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: Uh, Colin, do you think that maybe, uh, from what Ray was saying earlier, that there's a, an argument for uh, taking David Silva out for a few games and sticking Phil Foden in instead? Uh, I think Foden was probably what we were missing
3: on Saturday. Because, uh, although obviously we had problems from a substitute point of view. Foden, as we saw against Cardiff, he had a great game against Cardiff. He will rule really players. Whereas I think David Silva, you know, perhaps he's showing his age now. Perhaps it's a case of uh, obviously he had this all this emotional energy when his son was poorly and fighting, you know, for, for his life, and that maybe buoyed him up. It gave him something. He just seems to have gone completely off the boil. But where I see him being useful is coming on 1-0 with 20 minutes to go. Coming on and slowing the game down. We were saying this on Wednesday. Um, he does slow the game down a little bit. We've not really seen, talking about Kevin De Bruyne flinging that cross in, we've not really seen that, that sort of incisive pass from David Silva. The last, I'll say, the Fulham, no, not Fulham game, but game at home where he put that ball through for Zinchenko. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's been yeah. on too. Well, don't
2: know which game it was, but I think about David Silva, and I, we've said this in 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 a bit of jest, but it seems to ring true. Ever since he grew his hair back, he's not been the same. <laughs> player um, that. But the other thing is, I think as well, when KDB was out, David Silva was playing every week. He's playing just about every yeah. game at his age and and everything else. I think we were expecting a bit more rotation between David KDB and Bernardo Silva, and David's not had any rest. So I, it could be that he's been overplayed in the early part of the season when I think he was terrific. He was. He was, was. Really, really good. And But ever since KDB KDB came back and he grew his hair, he's not been the same player. So, I mean, all I can suggest is uh, get his head shaved, uh, stick a lollipop in his mouth, do a kojak, and fingers <laughs> crossed next season. He, he can do, you know, in, in some of the games where Let's say the lesser teams he can start, and other games with, with some of the bigger teams, maybe he'll, he'll be a sub. I, I think that's probably the way to go, and and I can see that happening, and Foden getting more game time in his uh, place.
1: Colin, talk to me about Kyle Walker and the so-called headbutt. Uh,
3: well, I think he, he had some justification for being annoyed with uh, Jahan Bach, who kind of fouled him and then seemed to stamp on his thigh, you've got to remain, try and remain cooked. Now, I don't think it was a headbutt. I think the standing head-to-head, and he kind of, he doesn't move his head, I don't think he moved his head towards the the Brighton player. A bit of a head slide, wasn't it? A head slide. Yeah, He slid it down. Now, it it was an interesting thing, that, actually, because one thing I did want to talk about was because we had VAR for that game, and the referee booked the two players then went to VAR, which I thought was a bit bit strange, but apparently that's the right procedure. But if you think about it, Walker, called Jahan Batch had had yellow cards. Fala Morghulis. Yes, Fala Morghulis. If they had yellow cards and there was no VAR, unless it was something really, really serious that the referee hadn't seen, then uh, there's no way those red, red yellow cards could be reviewed retrospectively. Yet VAR... Um, is basically reviewing a retrospective yellow card. When I looked at the protocol, the, the referee has can only use VAR when he's made a decision. So have it, he's going to make the decision to book the players, then go back to VAR and see if it was the right decision, which seems completely um, in contrast to the way things would be done if there wasn't VAR. Now, I don't mind if it's consistent, but um I, I thought that was a strange one. I, I thought yellow was right, probably right for both. But what? Um, one other thing that, that annoyed me about the game was um, Brighton. Uh, there were quite a few dives in that game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I uh, saw that. And um, the, the, that Iranian, I'm going to say it again, the Iranian Valamongoulis, uh, he was guilty of one of them. And Danilo got booked. Danilo went near him, but it took him about three seconds before he fell over. And it looked like a dive to me. And uh, Danilo got booked for that. Whereas um, the Brighton player should have been booked. Yeah. If, that, if he'd been booked, that would have been his second yellow and off. So people talking about Carl Walker should have had a red card, which I don't. I don't think he should have done. But um, no one's mentioned. None of the media mentioned the Brighton dive, and, mm-hmm. and um, he he was responsible for a couple of them. I can't remember who the other guy was. It Declan Murray or one of the other guys
2: might have been Murray.
3: Uh, had a blatant dive early on, and, um, and and I think a few people were were quite critical of the referee in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and perhaps it's another talking point that yeah. referees do seem to be trying to make up for our superiority by being very um, lenient on the opposing team and
1: quite tough on us. I was just going to ask, do you think that, are you buying Pep's line that uh, Walker was uh, taken off for a slight knock or was he taken off because uh, Pep thought he'd
2: lost the head? I, I mean, I, I I was going to mention this. I, I I couldn't see why he was taken off for a slight injury. didn't see anything. It's an easy one to say. He felt something in his hamstring. Slight problem. So him came off. I thought I think Pet would have been mad. We, I was chatting with a, a friend um uh, who s- sat next to me at the game and I said we were talking about when Del- Delph has been out for so long uh, ever since he got sent off and Pet would have been furious because Delph got sent off for absolutely no reason. You know, if the ref made a mistake or you were, made a slightly dodgy tackle or whatever, um you can have some excuse but I think Delph made a ridiculous Decision you know, and he got a sense of and Pep was furious. And I thought the same, you know. Talking about Walker, he was lucky, in my opinion, because he did that head slide. Now, if he'd caught the guy on the nose, which is what I think he was trying to do, rather than butt him um, uh, properly, just catch him on the nose, and the guy had gone down, I think Walker would have seen ma- his marching orders. I think he was lucky he didn't um, touch his nose, and the guy was probably surprised with what Walker did, and he didn't collapse on, on the floor. So, I think Kyle Walker was very lucky, and, and, I, and I think that's why uh, Pep took him off, because the referee... Could have watched that again at half time and kind of firmed up his uh, mind as to, no, you know, all right, Walker does anything, you know, next time I'll have him. Cause if the referee watched it again and th- thought, maybe I could have sent him off. Maybe he's got something stored up, so. Uh, but it's a stupid thing to do. And I will, I will mention something else as well. Um, and I think it's at least the third time this season that I've seen this is Edison gets involved. And I initially thought the booking was for Edison for uh, run, running in there and pushing um, our favourite Brighton player uh, away. And that's the third time Ed- Edison's done that. He just come. You can argue he's looking to protect his players. I think he did it with Zin- uh, for, for Zinchenko a few games ago. But he's quite forceful with the opponent and I can see him getting carded as well so there's, there's no need for it um you know when we keep 11 players on the pitch we'll generally win the game and half of the time when we've got 10 players on the pitch we can win we can still win but I'd rather the players cool their heads stay calm don't get involved let the referees make the decisions and uh, don't give him any chance to to book you or send you off I'm sure that was part of, the, at least part of the reason that Pep pulled
3: Walker off, because it was completely unnecessary. And there was a couple of other daft things, um, particularly late on in the game, where you, you're hanging on to a one-goal lead. Uh, Mendy did something a bit stupid. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a daft foul where he didn't need to. Yeah. Um, right at the end, I think Fernandinho jumped into... I'm not sure if Glen Murray was taught, but he jumped into a Brighton player and he had his hands out in front of him yeah so his kind of hands were round you know if he ju- just jumped kept his arms by his side or his arms out to his out by his side wouldn't have been a problem but the way he jumped would kind of push down on the shoulders of the Brighton player and this was right right at the end you know when we got a one0 lead it was just completely unnecessary and how, you know, how many times do you see that you know, and you say D- do these players not think And, and, and certainly Walker. All right, stand up and remonstrate with the guy. Do these players have the brains they were born with? <laughs> you know, as a player, you, all right, it's an emotional game. I, I think a lot, lot of the Brighton players look very pumped up, to me, actually. But, you know, you've got to be a professional. You've got to think. And to, to jump into situ, daft situations daft situation, it's one of the things that really annoys me. Players giving away daft free kicks uh, when they really don't need. You see, there was one where I think Otamendi was in the back of a player, uh, a Brighton player. And again,
2: you don't need to. Just stand off a foot. Let him get the ball. The and the players were looking to go down because they wanted the yes, free kicks. they wanted the free but kicks,
3: exactly, yeah. I think that's why chance. they
2: were diving,
3: Yeah, because they try to get chance. those free yeah. kicks.
2: Any little chance, uh, they want that free kick because that's the only time they're going to get six or seven players near our box and then hope for something. And I mean, they nearly got one, was it, from a corner where, in the second half where, I think, yep. the corner came in. I think someone, it felt like Bernardo Silva was flattened, uh, by someone, and, um, I think it was, uh, it was headed down. Edison just got his hand to it to slow it down a little bit, and the ball would have gone in, if, uh, uh, and Glenn Murray was there to tap it in as well, if it wasn't for Amir Laporte, who came and smacked it over the, the crossbar and for, a, for another corner. And, gotta say, Laporte, He's, he's got to be up there you know, if, if, if for the team of the season, for the defenders. If Virgil van Dijk's there, Laporte's got to be there too because he's, a, he's got a gorgeous left foot. His passing is fantastic. He reads the game so well. He's strong in the challenge, good in the air. I mean, what more can you ask for?
1: That's what, that's what I was going to say, uh, Colin. Would Laporte have been, uh, the man of this very low-key match? For me, yeah. Um, but I thought Laporte and Ottomendi both
3: did pretty well of all the players on the field. But yeah, I'd, I'd, Laporte would shade it for me. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: guys, listen, who cares? Who cares? We're in another final. Uh, it's I'm,
3: all about results now, isn't
1: it? It's all yes. about results. And, uh, I, I just woke up to, uh, the results involving our potential opponents. And I got my, my dream because I, I for some reason, and I'm, I'm sure the reasons are, are, are pretty obvious. I didn't want Wolves and I expected Wolves to win comfortably. But it turns out that, um, Wolves have been beaten 3-2 by Watford. And so our FA Cup final opponents are Watford. Now I didn't get to see this game. Uh, Colin, I believe you know a little bit about it. Uh, what, what happened in, in that game?
3: Well, it was a far more exciting game than ours, uh, I'll say that. It was quite um one end to the... I wouldn't say it was hugely exciting to start off with, but... It was a fairly even game, but Wolves eventually scored a goal, put them 1-0 up, and that looked fairly safe. And it was a cracking... I don't know, scored it. It
2: was quite a good goal, goal, anyway. Anyway, First one. Um, First one was uh, Doherty.
3: Doherty, yeah. yeah. And he gets a lot of those when he comes in late and gets that header.
2: I think it's uh, a fifth, really goal, good header. fifth or sixth goal of the season for Doherty. Yeah,
3: yeah. And then Wolves went 2-0 up early in the second half, I think. And you think, well, that is game over. But Watford were actually... The better team in that second half, I thought, overall. But they were very wasteful in front of goal. This, this is why I'd rather play them than Wolves. Because they're not a particularly quick team. So they would get the ball forward, but they wouldn't use it quickly enough. But then, um, 78 minutes, um, they got a goal back. And it was an absolutely fantastic goal from uh, Delefeu, who'd come on as a sub. And he picked the ball up towards the back of the area, just slightly on the left. And it curled it round a crowd of players uh, into the top of the net. The, the Wolves goalkeeper couldn't get anywhere near it. And you're thinking, oh, well, you know, that's quite interesting now. 2-1, 78 minutes, probably 15 minutes to go. But then Watford were just messing about. And or not messing about, but doing sort of daft things, um, they had chances to get the goal but say they're never quite quick enough wolves are a very fast quick team What aren't very quick they're a big unit but they're not very not very mobile but then right right at the death ball came into the wolves area dendonka i think it was just caught one of the the the, the attacker tried yeah tro it was yeah Chordieni shouldn't be turning anyone but he slightly turned Dendonka. Donker then caught him and the ref gave a penalty which I think was a fair result so and that was kind of 2 minutes into 4 or 5 minutes of injury time. Gini did well with the penalty, he blasted it. Gomez nearly got it but um it went ended up in the back of the net. Wolves looked shattered, they, they looked gone at that point uh, both mentally and physically. In the second second period of injury time, uh, De La Feo got another cracking goal. And that, <laughs> that put them 3-2 up. But Jay, one of the reasons I'd, I'd be quite happy playing Watford rather than Wolves is it was like two minutes to go. And what 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 would we do if we were 3-2 up? We'd keep the ball. We'd control it. We'd, we'd get the ball down in the in the far corner and we'd keep it there. So, uh, Watford were giving the ball back to Wolves with two minutes to go. And I'm thinking... And you know you've seen that so many times with inexperienced teams, particularly in the World. Remember, game in the World Cup. I think um, the USA were ahead against someone, Argentina or someone, or holding on for a draw. And, And that inexperienced show where they gave the ball, kept giving the ball back. And and they got punished for it, as you will do at that level. But uh, Watford were giving the ball back to Wolves and giving away Jaffrey kicks and and just unable to to hold on to the ball. But fortunately, they weren't found out. And uh, as I say, that's why I'd I'd rather play them. I think Wolves are a better football team. I think Wolves are one of those teams, a bit of a of a, a Leicester deluxe, who will surrender possession and try to play you on the break. I, I, and they've got a bit more pace up front than, than, than Watford have. One thing I think we've got to be careful of, again, is set pieces. So, you know, Pep should be drilling into them. Just be careful. You know, when, you get, when you get to in about 30 yards, when they get to in about 30, 40 yards, be very, very careful. Don't go <coughs> charging into the back of them. Don't go flinging your leg out. Uh, because that they will see that, I think, as their main weapon for getting a goal. Because they will outrun us. And I think one, one thing, I, I was looking at something on the... Um, on the internet the other day, one of these tactical analysis Twitter accounts had done an analysis, when we played West Ham a bit earlier, about how we now set up, how we move play. We're, we're much better organised defensively these days to stop the break, the opposition break, because we have this little screen. When we're attacking, we're pressing. We have this little screen ready to pounce. So I know we got caught against um, where they were 2-on-1, mm-hmm. close to the end of, of the game. Yeah, it was Watford, wasn't it? It wasn't Cardiff. You know, they, did, they didn't make enough of it. But generally, we're much clever, cleverer at stopping the break because we put so much pressure on. And we do that. Uh, I would say we've got that little screen of, the, well, the, the two central defenders, the ball, Otamendi, Stones, and we've got Fernandinho waiting to pick it up. I, I think we're screening those breaks a lot better. And, and we're pressing so high up now, and our pressing is so effective, that there's a huge gap. If you've got a, a forward up the field, there's a huge gap to that forward so they've really got to get lucky to get the ball past
1: us Colin did mention Cardiff there and uh, we, we're not going to spend too long on this but that w- there was a game that, that we had just before the uh, FA Cup semi-final Cardiff 0 Man City 2 the goal by uh, Kevin De Bruyne on 6 minutes and uh, Leroy Sane on forty-four minutes. Um, I'm assuming that you were at that one. Uh, perhaps you could give us a brief synopsis. Well,
2: actually, I have to say I, I go to just about every game I can, but this was a rearranged game, and right, uh, right. before it was, we were, it was rearranged. It was, um, we'd already booked to go on holiday, so it's my uh, kids' um, their, their Easter holidays uh, start earlier than everybody else's. So they they were we were already on holiday. So. We'd we'd gone over to, after the Fulham game, we'd gone over to to Paris um, to see family and friends and to have a holiday there. So uh, I couldn't really come back for the Cardiff game and then go back to France for two days and then come back to London. So just logistics wise, I couldn't uh, make it to the game. So I think Colin probably was there and he's probably better to describe uh, the action uh, than me.
1: Colin, uh, were you at that one?
2: I was certainly at that one, yeah. In fact, I've been at City all
3: afternoon because I um, had a meeting three till five, which then overran and I missed my ritual pre-match Chinese with my mates. So City very kindly let me go in the Tunnel Club to have some food, Whoa. Uh, which is very nice, but I, I'd rather have had the Chinese, all this small plate stuff, um, but jolly nice. But yeah, it was um, it was an interesting game actually. And um, I, th- I think one of the accusations that have been thrown at us, that I've included me at City is, oh, We've got a goal up and then we've sat back and taken it a bit easy, as we did perhaps against Brighton. But but this one, uh, you know, we came out, we started off with fantastic intensity. And I think um, Gabriel Jesus could have got on the end of a Kevin De Bruyne across after about 30 seconds. Uh, but he didn't I think he's a bit rusty, didn't quite get his leg to it. As I said we did get the goal very early on again. Kevin de Bruyne kind of ran into the area. It looked like the angle was against him, but uh, Etheridge, the Cardiff keeper, it was normally a very sound keeper actually, he left a huge gap at his near post and Kevin de Bruyne just lashed it past him into the roof of the net. And it was quite funny because at half, Neil Warnock claimed at half time, he asked Kevin De Bruyne, did you mean that? And and Kevin said, no, it was a cross, according to Warnock. Now, I think Kevin was teasing him a little bit because I was, where I sit, I was right behind that. And there was no way that was a cross. That was meant as a shot but it, it took it did take a lot of us by surprise because um couldn't see where the the angle was coming from but so uh, and then we had another chat you know we had another chance and um de Bruyne set Gabriel Jesus up and um he got quite annoyed with him because he felt he should have passed it back rather than had a shot I thought uh, Jesus was justified in having a shot he was fairly central uh, the goal was clear I, I don't think Kevin could have had a great deal of complaint. Uh, he certainly won't have complained if he scored. But yeah, it was again where we had quite a lot of challenge. And I think uh, was looked a bit rustic, to be honest. He's not played for a little while. If he has played generally, it's been in the League Cup or something where the intensity has not been that great. So, and it's always worrying, and Cardiff can do something on the break, I think. They're not a bad team at all. They've got Josh Murphy and, and one or two others. But just before half-time, the game plan was keep it down to one. And Cardiff were quite good at that. But um, just before half-time, of course, um, we had a corner, and I know there's a lot of talk about the uselessness of our corners. Yeah. But actually, it came from a corner, <clears> but not directly. The ball came out, to just inside the area, and he lashed it home. So, you know, we, we go in 2-0 up. You just knew that was game over. What worried me a little was, would we sit back in the second half? But actually we didn't. It was a, we, had a, we played a very intense game, virtually the whole 90 minutes. And, uh, Cardiff's first shot on target, got a note of it somewhere, was singing over like 87 minutes. It was quite funny, the, the City fans were singing, you've had your shot, now F off home. Um, because that was the first shot they'd had. So I think we played that game very, very well. Cardiff were looking not to get beaten too heavily, I think. I think that was their, their main incentive. And it's interesting, you think back to 2012, where we won 18 and true one of our home games, uh, and you could sense teams were frightened of coming to the Etihad. And I think we've recreated that atmosphere now, where and we've seen it, haven't we, where teams will come to us and they'll defend for their lives but they'll go to Anfield or they'll go to Old Trafford or they'll go to Chelsea and they'll have a go. And I think, again, it's like we said before, it's a backhanded compliment to our power and uh, ability, technical ability, that, that teams are just trying to get out with as little
1: damage as possible that one again uh, the result was the most important thing let's look forward a little bit guys so the next game we've got Ray is Tottenham in the Champions League at their ground I believe the um, beautiful big uh, stadium there Uh, how do you feel about our form going into this and what are your expectations how do you think this might play out
2: well, I, w- I actually went to the stadium yesterday to because I got here yeah, nice and early uh, to have a look around and I've got to say it is uh, majestic, it's magnificent, all bright and shiny and new. I think it's going to be a great place to play football. It's also very interesting that since the team has stayed over, Pep has done something a bit different this time and the team are actually going to practice on the pitch and apparently yeah. normally when we go to away games we just fly in we don't train on the pitch we play the game and uh, try and get get out as quickly as we can but for this game we're actually going to train so you can see pep's taking it a little bit more seriously And I think you have to because, you know, there's going to be the best part of 55,000 noisy Spurs fans for probably one of the biggest games in their history, in their recent history for sure, Um, in their new stadium. They don't want to be embarrassed playing there. So I think there really is going to be a lot of pressure from from the fans. Maybe that'll get to their players and they'll um, freeze a little bit. But. I mean, it's a game. I think we 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 go into it in obviously decent form. We've won a lot of games on the bounce. It's a game. I don't. I think I don't want us to lose. That's the minimum I want out of the game. We don't have to win it either. We don't have to win it. I mean, I would, I would be quite delighted if we uh, we got a draw, uh, a, um, a scoring draw, something like one-one. I'd be, ha- I'd be happy. I'd take that away. Um, I don't want to go back uh, to Manchester having lost in London because they're a good team, Spurs. We, you know, they've had a, a bit of a dodgy run uh, in the last uh, few weeks, but you know, you, you can't beat the teams they've beaten in the Champions League and got where they, you know, got this far. If you've not got something about you, you know, to, to, to embarrass Dortmund uh, home and away, you've got to have done something well. So, yeah, they've got g- good players. It's going to be interesting to see how they play, whether they're going to play Deli man-marking Fernandinho, whether they're going to play with the the wide men trying to get uh, get up and stop out uh, wide men. It's going to be very, very interesting. But I don't think they can contain us. And I think we're just going to play our normal game. And But we've got to go for it. I don't think we should change our and I don't think we will change our style in any way. I, I can't see Pep being more cautious, like we were at Liverpool when we went to play him in the league. Yeah, and so, as I said, my hope is to get uh, a scoring draw at least. As long as we don't lose, I'll be happy.
1: Uh, you reckon Aguero will be back for this one, Colin? Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. I would like him to be, because of
3: his record against Spurs. Well, as I'm saying, we don't need to win this one. Perhaps even settle for a two-one. I don't want to lose, obviously. I, I think I would even settle for a two-one loss. But I mean, one one thing we know that Spurs won't put ten men behind the ball. Well, I, I would hope Spurs don't put ten men behind the ball. But they're, they're a bit like Alice through the looking glass these Champions League games sometimes, aren't they? When I think back to our game against our semi-final against Real Madrid. We were more concerned to stop them scoring at home than we were about scoring ourselves, knowing that they would have to come out at the Bernabeu and and give us a bit of a chance, which we never actually took that chance over there. So, which was a bit annoying. So, yeah, but but, yeah, Spurs will play football, and um, you know, we've got a pretty good record against them uh, in recent years, and, and whether the extra impact that a I think it's a Champions League quarter final. They're in the new stadium. The crowd will probably be very noisy. Because I think the crowd at Wembley was getting a bit tired, and um, I think they were getting a bit fed up of Wembley, the Spurs fans, to be honest. So, so, so I think there's the the new stadium factor. But um, yeah, I mean, Aguero would be nice uh, in that situation. But I'd rather you know the death thing is to say it's a game we don't need to win. If there's any doubt about him, either give him 15 minutes at the end, or don't risk him at all because we need him. <laughs> yeah, you know, we need him for the other games. I mean, every game, as we said before, every game now is a final for, mm. for us. And I say this one being won, I can't see us losing, you know, two or three nil. No. But I say we could sustain a two-one loss potentially. Draw sure, would we'll be fine. Win would be even better, of course. But then Crystal Palace, is, you know, is the next cup final on the horizon on Saturday. Yeah, and we've got to get three points from that. A draw is no good to
1: us on that one. It's actually on Sunday, yes. Sunday, and, Sunday, Sunday. Sorry, yeah. And we'll after we do our pod after the Tottenham game, we will get more into a longer preview of the of the game against Crystal Palace. But guys, just to finish off with little confession: when I was uh, growing up, I was always a, <laughs> a, always had a ha, always had a bit of a crush Kirsty Gallagher. But Kirsty Gallagher was in the news uh, concerning uh, Man City Ray. Uh, what was that all yeah. about?
2: Well, it's been going on for a, a week or two, uh, especially it's this, this ratcheted up this last uh, few days uh, about the fact that City sent a couple of thousand tickets back and we weren't going to uh, f- fulfil our allocation. And I think we, uh, did various reports will be different. I don't know how many fans we had there. Some people said 25,000. I think we did really well. I
3: think we had about 28 there. So
2: 28 gonna... then. I think we did really well to get 28,000 fans there because, you know um and i'll do this before i go on to kirsten but we've had the media we've had people uh, on the radio we've had dean saunders talking about you know scandalous that city can't sell out our allocation we had kevin phillips who i think at sunderland was earning 30 grand a week saying that city fans should you know he can't believe we can't fill out our stadium and he said something really clever and he said uh, what's bigger than an fa cup semi-final Uh, That's Kevin Phillips. Well, Kevin, I'll tell you, an FA Cup final. Bigger than a (laughs) semi-final. Yep. Exactly. It's been going on for so long and other fans, like Sheep, they go go along with it. And and there's a few points I I wanted to make on this. I mean, a few years ago, before we got our money, everybody kind of loved City. They had a soft spot for us. They loved our fans. You know, they laughed a bit at us, but they laughed with us as well about you know some of the daft things we, we did, like happy to... Take a two-two against was it Liverpool when we needed to win and wasted time for the last two minutes without Under Allen Ball and we went down and you know we were a, a bit of a joke and fans generally felt sorry for us but now we're winning there's a lot more jealousy fans can't attack us I've said this before for what goes on on the pitch so they look at anything off the pitch to attack the fan base and with the media driven agenda I mean they really create this animosity this hatred and this divide. And they need that to get their clicks, to get people to ring in for premium rate calls to talk sport. They need it to sell papers and, and all sorts of stuff. So they've been really ratcheting it up and other fans have got in on, on, on the act as well. And they don't appreciate how difficult it is for City to keep going to, to London for instance and to Wembley uh, to play football. I mean, lots of Issues here like the 5.30 kickoff, which automatically makes it difficult to get a train home, especially if we're going to get extra time and penalties, last train being at 9.25. And it means a lot of expense. Tickets aren't cheap, and the cheapest were not so bad, I think, at £30 each. But you're getting home late, whichever way you go, go home. You know, you're looking to get home about 1 o'clock in the morning or something. And also the Wembley visits have been devalued. Tremendously by Spurs playing there last season. Now, last season you had 19 clubs who played them in the league at Wembley. Most of those 19 clubs wouldn't have played at Wembley, in, you know, probably in the next 20 years. You had cup games at Wembley. You've had games there this season. And it is really devalued. As well as that, you've got the Epic Cup semi finals there, which I think most fans, let's say from the bigger clubs, would hate. Some of the lesser clubs, maybe that's a bad term to call them. Some like Brighton and uh, and Watford and whatever, they're happy to go to Wembley. And I saw that some of their managers; they're all uh, dolled up in suits uh, for the Epic Cup semi-finals, whereas Pep was in his trusty uh, sweatshirt and and his jumper. So it, it means nothing to him really. And and it goes on. And you know, City, if I'm correct, we've played 53 games this season already. 53 games. Some clubs have paid about 34 or 35. We've still got a possible 12 games to go. So we could finish the season with 65 games. Now, that's expensive. And I, I did some tossing up last week. If you go to every single game, you'll be spending £2,000 on tickets. And you would be spending two or £3,000 on travel and accommodation. So you're looking at the best part of £5,000 to follow your club uh, home and away this season. Who can afford that? And if you got your family is involved as well, you know, let's say it's a family of four, um, with two kids. It's it's absolutely it's just too expensive. So and I I say, you know, if we moved the FA Cup semi finals to Manchester or Liverpool, how many London fans would come up for those games? There's a lot of things going on about City and, and what we should be doing, all fans instead of lambasting City support. For not, you know, selling our, our allocation, and I'll let you and on a secret, we'll probably have about this season 125,000 fans will have been to Wembley to see City play. City fans, it's probably the most ever. Instead of attacking City fans and our fan base, they should get together. We should take a united stand and tell the FA where to go. We should be telling them no more late kickoffs, no more ridiculous prices for for tickets at semi-finals and the finals. Now, so, someone said some of the tickets for the semi-final were 45 quid each. And those same seats in the final are 115 quid. We should be telling the FA no more Wembley semi-finals. Take them back to Villa Park. Take them up to Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, wherever you want. Make it as equidistant as possible for the the, uh, semi-finalists. And I think that's going to get fans back on board. You'll fill grounds, more likely to fill, smaller grounds anyway. And you'll make Wembley a more magical experience and not a devalued experience.
3: Well, I think we should introduce a new feature to the pod, raised rant. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, I mean, Ray, yeah, absolutely. Ray is right. Well, my take on it is uh, I, I couldn't really do much better than that, but... The problem is a lot of the fans who are going on about seats are not the ones who go to games. Yeah, And I have this thing, if I can be bothered, if I see someone going on about empty seats, an opposition fan, I go through their timeline and see what they were doing the last time their team played at home. And nine times out of ten, they would they'd be tweeting, which suggests they weren't at the game. So so my take on it is that it's, it's not the fans who go to games, because... They know how 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 expensive and difficult it can be. Uh, and for and Andy Mitten, who's a big United fan, uh, he wrote a piece. Uh, it might be in the Manchester News or somewhere, or one of the football sites, defending City fans. He, he said, "You know, it's expensive. It's difficult." The FA Cup final. It, uh, the, the kickoff will be five thirty. It's been announced, apparently. Now, this is a Saturday when there are no other games, as far as I'm aware, taking place. So there's no reason that that game couldn't be played at 3 o'clock. There's no blackout issues. But do you know why it's on at 5.30? I'll tell you. Because the TV companies, it's a big draw for, for TV viewers, and the TV companies want to use the FA Cup final as a lead into X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, whatever's on next, because they know if, if someone's watching the FA Cup final and the next programme on is Britain's Got Talent, they might go off and make a cup of tea, but they'll sit down in front of, they'll keep the TV on. If the game's on at three o'clock and it's finished at five, people might think, oh, well, I'll turn the TV off. I'm not interested in what's on at five o'clock. And they, they don't come back to it. And I, and I saw an article which said exactly this, that this is the, this is the TV. Not, it's not me being paranoid. This is what the TV companies have worked out. And if yeah. you, if you've got people watching, they tend not to switch off. If you give them the chance to switch off at five o'clock, less less come back to it so of course it's all about advertising revenues and viewing figures and, and and simply because of that we are having to go down to a cup final where there's no reason that couldn't be at three o'clock at 5 30. well
2: I, I'm, I'm assuming colin that is uh, it, it'll be on bt and the bbc at the same time so which one of those two organizations have pushed, have pushed for this 5 30. i mean we were hoping that it might be at four o'clock. And at least that gives people the opportunity to celebrate and still get the last train home.
3: <laughs> well, they're not thinking about us. They're thinking oh. about the millions of people who are watching the TV and will go on to watch whatever's on at 7.30 on
2: the BBC. Yeah. Assuming yeah. injury time, I mean, uh, extra time. Yeah. I mean, I've got to also say this. I mean, the sad thing is City fans should be commended for, for the numbers that went, not condemned, which is what people have wanted to do. You know, as I, I said, this season we'll have taken about 125,000 fans to the Community Shield, the Carabao Cup Final, Spurs game at Wembley, the FA Cup Semi-Final and the FA Cup Final. That's a hell of a lot of uh, fans from Manchester coming down uh, to London, you know, to Wembley, uh, let alone any other parts. And we've got so many other games in London as well. We've, you know, we've we talked about, mentioned Palace, we've just come back from the Fulham game. You know, so many games in a short space of time. Nine, I think was it nine games in April and people have just said, I've got to decide which games i'm going to because it's it's expensive if you buy your tickets on a match-by-match basis the champions league game will be about 45 quid 50 quid it's just too expensive and you know and i think we're going to end up on um, our good friend and mike's uh, uh, childhood sweetheart Kirsty gallagher
3: <laughs> well i mean it's a nonsense isn't it because um... She she was also saying 102 quid for United's game at Barcelona is not expensive. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, 102 quid is expensive for a game when you're paying 30 quid at uh, a Premier League ground. Yeah. Uh, And there's talk uh, among UEFA clubs about putting a limit on away tickets, which is, uh, well, well uh, well overdue and, and welcome if that comes off. So, so this is nonsense about yeah, one hundred and two pounds is not expensive. Well, of course it is expensive. We know it's expensive. And the other thing about Kirsty Gallagher, which I think the point is, she got put right by a city fan. It was on the six hundred six yeah, uh, five live phone in. I, I, one of the great regrets of my life is that uh, the BBC, which used to be a byword for absolute quality and fairness, has become almost um, a competitor for talk sport in terms of clickbait. Uh, and some of the things they put out, particularly the sport uh, side of things, uh, and this this lady, Ina Parkinson, I have not listened to it. Wiped the, but she wiped the floor with Kirsty Oh, Absolutely, Gallagher, and she was sat there. Gallagher was sat there grinning. Yeah, you know, which kind of if she said oh, yeah, you know, I think you made a good point there. I see your point. Uh, you know, you know, I don't get... She probably doesn't go to games. And if she does, she probably goes there as a radio presenter, a media figure doesn't pay. Yeah. Um, if, she, if she said, yeah, you know, I take your point. It's a good point. Uh, I wasn't thinking about it like that. Then, then you think, okay, that's fine. When you go on to kind of double down, people lose it.
2: Anyway. The thing is, what Kirsty did, she was... People say smirking, sniggering, laughing, and it's on camera. So you know, because obviously they're filming in the studio. So maybe she didn't realise that she thought she could get away with her body language. And then she tried when Ina was ramming her points home. Kirsty tried to pick up on a slight out of context or tangential point to try and divert it away from the battering she was in, the buffeting she was getting um, as Ina was delivering a, a barrage of punches and was ready for the knockout blow. And Kirsty was trying to switch it and switch it. And afterwards she put out a tweet and she said something like you about her her point was taken slightly out of context. No, it wasn't. It was taken banged on context and you got the you know, the, the slapping down that you deserved. And even in her tweet to kind of apologize or whatever she still had to have another slide dig at city and there's no stopping it and even the bbc they put out a tweet as well bbc five live and they said something like lesson learned don't take on city fans or whatever it was but that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek jokey kind of tweet and but at the end of the day a lot of city fans are unhappy about this and some people will say "Oh, just forget it let it go but it, it just gets it's just happening so much and so often and it, it feels like it's all the time and as I said before, it is this jealousy that we're winning stuff. Jealousy, we got the money. We know we were lucky. But give it a rest, guys. You know, And I'll repeat, you can't beat us on the pitch. You can't compete on the <coughs> pitch. You'll attack us for anything you can off the pitch.
1: Okay, guys. Well, I, I reckon Colin's right. We definitely have instituted a, a new regular feature into our pod. But we mustn't forget our other semi-regular feature, which is Test Colin Savage. So let's do Test oh. Colin Savage now. And... Um, We'll, we'll, we'll just uh, test you with a, a, a little piece of uh, knowledge here. Now, City boss Pep Guardiola has become the first manager to reach both major domestic English Cup finals in the same season. Since who? With
2: which team? When? I can answer this, Colin. So you better do. Kenny Dogleash... Uh-huh. aha Liverpool in the, some somewhere in the late 80s I suspect
1: not in the late 80s a lot lot later than that it was the no. 2011 2012 campaign oh, actually but listen
2: yeah. but listen I'm gonna give you both I've so um, it doesn't I'm gonna say it doesn't sound right that in 2011 and 12 it can't be Kenny Dalglish. uh this is from the BBC it can't be Kenny Dalglish in 2011 and 12 uh-huh. um, 2012 because they,
3: they got him in after Hodgson.
2: Uh-huh. Oh, i take it all back then. I'll take uh-huh. it back.
3: But, but actually, I'm talking gone. about Liverpool, a, lo- a lot of the stick's coming from Liverpool fans. And some City fans have found um, we were playing Walsall in League 2. Uh, sorry, League was now League 1. The same night they were playing a European Cup or uh, Europa, UEFA Cup tie. Yeah. And our attendance was higher than theirs.
2: I was going to test Colin as well, but you know, listen, I'm, I I,
1: I, I'm going to give you guys a chance to redeem yourselves. And this is a, what? this is perhaps an easier one. Okay. So listen, City have become the ninth different team to reach, oh, yeah. to reach both major domestic English cup finals within the same season. Now, who are those nine teams? I've got them listed here. I'm going to tick them off. Nine teams to reach both major domestic English Cup finals in the same season. Let's go. United, Liverpool. United, Liverpool. I know Middlesbrough did it. Middlesbrough. Chelsea. Chelsea. Spurs. Spurs. Come on, Ray. Arsenal. 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 Two more. Everton. Everton. You've just got one more.
2: Are they still in the Premier League? No. That's... Aston Villa.
1: No. Blackburn. No.
2: Oh, it's going to be lots of North Portsmouth, Birmingham.
1: No, no. All right, I'll 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 give you a, a giveaway clue. This team has a day of the week in their name. Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, there you go. Okay, guys, fun. Uh, not in the sun, but fun anyway. I think this is a good point to, to leave it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We will look forward uh, to uh, speaking to you guys again after the next game. But, of course, we're going to just say cheerio to our two guests for now until then. First of all, Colin Savage. Colin, it's it's a pleasure uh, talking to you. And thank you very much for coming on the Bolt from the Blue podcast. It's a pleasure. And we shall speak again soon, hopefully. Absolutely. And the same to you, Ray.
2: Thank you so much for your contribution. Well, oh, thank you for uh, for being a great host, uh, Mike, and we'll speak after this first game.
1: Okay, guys, so we'll leave it there. And as we always say, we'll be back with you after the next game. So until then, have one on us and Up Those Blues. Finished,
0: About time that your mind took a holiday